When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, just an FYI that there are some swear words in this episode. So if that affects how you listen to it or how loudly you listen to it, now you know. Hi, rookies. I'm your host, Tavi Gevinson, and I want to start this episode with a quick thank you to Ella S. for sending us a picture of yourself laughing along to last week's show. I really loved that, and if you missed that episode, it features the actress Alia Shawkat and the rookie contributor Dylan Tupper Rupert with a starter pack for recovering from an existential crisis. So it makes a lot of sense that Ella would have been laughing that hard. Please keep the selfies coming. I also wanted to send a huge thank you and giant hug to the listener Valerie, who sent in this following voice memo. Dear Tavi, my name is Valerie Lauren and I'm 24 years old. At the time I discovered Rookie Magazine, I was 18 and the mother of a seven-month-old boy. I was lost and felt down and I thought I knew why. I had done the one thing the world expected of a young Latina from a broken home. I had become a statistic, like my mother before me. The world led me to believe I was a failure, but Ricky showed me I can only be a failure in my own eyes. And in my own eyes, and deep down in my heart, I wanted to believe I wasn't. I wanted to believe that I was more than a statistic, and Ricky inspired that. I stopped caring what the world thought of me and started caring about what I and my son thought of me. Now at this age, I have a newfound confidence. I'm the mother of a six-year-old who understands things in a way that some grown adults can't even understand. He is empathetic and compassionate. He's smart and kind, and he loves me unconditionally. I'm proud of that and proud of myself for not allowing this world to tell me who it is they think I am. Thank you, Ricky, and thank you, Tavi. Thank you so much, Valerie, for reading all these years, for listening, for taking the time to tell us why Rookie's so important to you. Um, It is really, really motivating and rewarding um, to know all of that. So just huge, huge thanks. On this week's show, I talked to illustrator Lisa Hanawalt, best known for her work as the production designer for the cartoon TV show BoJack Horseman. They called me into the writer's room and were like, Lisa, should it be Quentin Tarantucan or Quentin Tarantuna or Quentin Tarantulino? Then a twist on our Ask a Grown segment where we ask grown married couple Emily V. Gordon and Kumail Nanjiani some of your questions about friendship and romance kind of enjoy the like delicious torture that this is while you're indecisive enjoy that time 
But first, Ilsa Valfre is an illustrator and fashion designer who got her start drawing girls with confidence and a cool sense of style. Her drawings gained a fan base on the internet, so she decided to bring her characters to life by making real-life versions of the clothes they were wearing. That's like a childhood dream. Ilsa sat down in Los Angeles to talk with the podcast producer Mukta Mohan, who happens to produce this show, to talk about how she got her start. I wanted to talk to you about themes in your work, about starting your own business and finding your path. And since this is Rookie, of course, what you were like as a teenager. So first off, how old were you when you decided that you wanted to be a fashion designer? When I was 16, I wanted to like, I, I wanted like since I was a little girl to when I said I wanted to be a comic artist, I also wanted to be a fashion designer. But it kind of like I didn't thought about it again until I was 16 when I started high school. Because my dad asked me, uh, well, what do you want to do after high school? Like, you need to, like, start, you know, investigating what's what's going to be your thing. And I said, I want to be a fashion designer or something in the arts field. And then my older sister, she got to go to, to England for one year after she finished high school. So that was promised to me, too. So all my high school years, I was like, well, I'm going to I'm going to London after this. And, <laughs> and my 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 last semester, I was showing my dad all the schools that I wanted to go. And then he was kind of avoiding me for a little bit. And then um, he said to me, I'm sorry, but I can't afford it. I can't, and I'm so sorry, and my heart broke. I was like, kind of like my ego too, because like for three years I was like bragging in my classroom, like, oh, I'm going to London after this, and you guys are gonna stay in Tijuana, and I'm gonna have a British boyfriend, and I'm gonna be so cool. <laughs> and it's just like my whole dream flopped. So yeah, it was pretty much. I it was a a hard path after that. How did you transition from being a freelance designer with a blog? to having your own fashion line? Well, it, so when I started the brand, I pretty, I thought I was very naive. I said, uh, when I started illustrating full time, I, I thought it was going to be so easy. I said, I'm gonna just email magazines and email bloggers and they would just write about my work or repost it or whatever. This was before Instagram. Instagram really was the platform who really helped my work spread, like get the word out. I realized it wasn't easy. You know, I was sending emails maybe a hundred a day and I probably got back two emails saying no. It was very, very like difficult. And I decided I was going to do it my way. So I started illustrating twice a day and posting it on every social media of the time. Facebook and Tumblr were huge back then. I'm talking about like 2010. And once I gather a good following in the meaning of people who liked, girls who liked my work, I started to doing product, but like very basic. I'm like, you know, tote bags with my artwork. It was very, a, pretty much like a DIY project. You know, I was doing t-shirts, pins, and from my parents' house, I was doing customer service, fulfillment, marketing, everything out of my, my room. But I noticed that the, the following was growing and the demand was growing. And then I realized that, that people wanted more. And I said, well, this can really become now a, a, a fashion line, you know? And, that, and when I started the illustrating full-time, that wasn't my plan. Once I started the blog, I started realizing that girls really liked my stuff. You were sending like 100 emails a day, getting rejections or, or no responses. How did you keep going? I think like... It, 
being like that young, you're like naive. And I know I'm going to sound cheesy, but my dad was always so supportive. My friends to this day remember this. My dad would used to like open the door with my friends in there and me like, I don't know, doing our makeup or getting ready to go to a party. But this is what since I was a little girl until I was like an adult. He will open the door and just say to me, Ilse, you're a star, you're successful, and I'm so glad you're here. And then he just shut the door. And all my friends were like, oh my God, your dad is so cute. And I got so embarrassed by him. I always say, and I always walk to him and say, why do you do this to me? You always say that because I'm your daughter. And it's so embarrassing. And I think he kind of like made that's a joke, but also he really meant it, you know, to kind of like make me like get embarrassed. But he really, he was always so supportive of me and my siblings. And when I was like, doing this and getting so much rejection I I'm not lying I always heard my dad's voice back in my mind like I got this I meant to do this like it's just it's tough right now because I'm learning how to be you know because I feel like when you start like from like very like from scratch things get really difficult especially you don't come like from a money you know it's tough and it really made me value people's work because I worked really hard. It made me humble. It made me be thankful for what I had at the moment. And um, so, yeah, it was just kind of like my dad's voice that kept me going when I was getting tons of rejection everywhere. <laughs> what was your upbringing like? Were your parents supportive of you pursuing art as a career? Yes, actually, I have like, honestly, I'm very lucky. I have like the sweetest parents. My dad himself, when he wanted to study theater, his dad was not supportive at all. And my dad wanted to move. My dad is from a little town in Campeche, Mexico. And he wanted to move to Mexico City and study theater. And for him, it was so difficult because he he promised my grandfather to study um, law. And... He promised he will do it. And at the same time he was studying to become a lawyer, he was also going to theater. He was paying it himself. And for him, it was so hard to do that. So he was like the opposite with us. He was so supportive. And he always said to us since we were little, like, you guys have to do what you like to do. But, you, know, you know, life is so short and you, you have to do something that makes you happy because life itself is tough. So you better like spend your days doing something fun for you. So... Yeah, I, I wanted to, when I was little, young, very young, I was a very, a big comic fan, uh, Betty and Veronica Archie comics. And I always like was obsessed with them. My sister and I used to collect them. And I remember that I used to retrace like Betty and Veronica were like my first like girls that I kind of like free draw. And then I said, I want to be a comic artist. And then, then that thing faded away when the Spice Girls came out and Britney Spears came out because then I wanted to be a pop star. And then obviously I did not pursue music because I have zero talent in that department. And then I went back to like wanted to become a designer because my, my, my aunt and uncle, they have a very successful brand in Mexico. And I really look up to them because they started from scratch very hardworking couple. And I went to their factory and I said, oh, I want to be a fashion designer. It kind of like makes sense. I like to draw and I like fashion. I'm just going to mix it together. So how did you teach yourself to run your own business? Uh, YouTube, Google. It was, and, and I'm somebody that I was not into computers until I was like 20. To me, to start a business, I had to get a computer and I had to like learn how to pretty much like be social on it and it was kind of like a slow process but you know I think we're like a very spoiled generation that we have everything on Google like everything on YouTube and it's 
it's really cool. You know, it was a fast way to me to learn, especially because I didn't study fashion design or business. Um, I want to talk about Valfrey mm -hmm. and the clothes that you're designing now. You started out by doing iPhone cases and like patches and pins, mm -hmm. like on a small scale. And now you have dresses and jumpsuits and it's a full-fledged line. <laughs> How did that transition happen? I think like it, the company is growing and I feel like our the girls that like Balfre, it's either the artwork or the brand, wanted to, I've noticed that they wanted to, to look like, I feel like they like what the characters wear. You know, it's kind of like a little world there is, right? And, and I wanted to bring that world to life. And I started with a phone case, for example, with Boy's Tears. That characters used to drink that all the time. So I said, well, why don't we do a phone case so the girls can take photos with it, you know? And then from that, I said, well, why don't we start doing the dresses that they're wearing? And it's just been pretty much like imitating the illustration, bringing that to life. And we've been very lucky and everything has been like a testing point for us. You know, like we're going to test with dresses and see how they do. So it's fun. The girls that you draw are confident and they're unapologetic. Where does that come from? It comes from like a place. It's, it's not me because people think that I'm drawing myself like some sort of like my personality. And I do think this has something to do with me. However, I draw things that I, I grew up, my mom is very Christian. She was very religious and my dad was the opposite. And being close to my mother, she was always very like, don't wear short things or don't talk like this and don't date and la 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 la. So when I became an adult, it was kind of like me drawing all the things that I wish I've done as a teenager, I feel. Like more like relaxed and myself and, you know, just like those little things that I look back and I say like, oh my God. I mean, I'm not saying that religion is bad. I kind of like it because it gives me like some sort of like spirituality. I mean, I'm, I don't longer practice like going to church and stuff, but I definitely believe in God. But it's kind of like, it, it's kind of like a, a, a side of me that I, things that I wish I've said or do or look like, and you know, kind of like a rebellious Yeah. So what were you like as a teenager? I grew up in Tijuana, but in Tijuana is like a big town, but becomes a small town because you people from there. And I like that hang out with the same friends since they were five. So it becomes small circles, you know, and I grew up in a little town from Tijuana called Playas de Tijuana, which is the beach side of it. And I went to a school that it was. I, I I really had a hard time learning things, like really tough. I learned how to read and write when I until I was like eight or nine. So my parents didn't know what to do with me, so they found this school, which was like more personalized education. And then you had those kind of kids, and then you have the really bad kids that no other school will accept them. They will go there. So they will call the school like a school of freaks. And I loved it. Like, honestly, like we were like, it was very small groups. And I started there at 10. And then I finished high school there until I was 18. So it was 10 years there with the same classmates. I mean, they become like your siblings. And it was like, so there was like no cool or loser. One day you were like maybe the cool or the funny guy. And maybe you were like the next day you were like the loser. But it was so fun. And, and I never felt like that sort of, sort of like, um, an outcast. Only when I went out to like the real world to a party, they were asking me, what school do you go to? My school name was Pierfor. And everybody could call that school 
beard freaks. Even my mom's friends will say, my mom, why do you have Ilse there? They're like, like very ignorant women. They were like, only bad kids there go. But my parents really liked it and I loved it. So growing up, a teenager, it was like very simple, like normal girl, um, loved um, every comfy and fitch. <laughs> that was like my thing. Like, yeah, very normal girl, I guess. Um, if you could go back to like 16-year-old Ilse, what would you say? Relax and enjoy the ride. Because I was like too um, preoccupied to be somebody. And maybe because I knew I was like in a school, because I didn't, my, I never felt like I wasn't smart, you know? Like I, um, I just, school wasn't just for me. I think school is not for everybody, you know? Some people love it and some people do so well in it. However, some people don't. Like, I think I'm one of those people. It's those things that to me is very hard to learn things. It's very hard. I don't know why. It's one of the first things I'm going to ask God as soon as I die, like why I can learn fast. <laughs> I think I was so concerned of being smart and like why I'm not like the most articulate person or why I don't do this or do that. And I feel like I was like tense. I was enjoying the ride, but still I was tense all the time. And I, if I can go back, I was just relax. You're going to do fine. What's some advice that you have for young women and teenagers who are interested in starting up their own fashion lines or um, are artists and want to be freelance illustrators and just really pursuing that as a career? I think um, my advice would be to stay very persistent, um, stay focused, because it's not an easy path, but Everything is possible. You keep your like 100% focus and uh, keep in mind that there's going to be sacrifices to be made, but it's worth it because when you're doing what you love, you don't even see it as a sacrifice, you know, and just work on your craft every day, work hard and always be nice to people. I think that's like my, my only advice. <laughs> That was MTV podcast producer Mukta Mohan talking to artist and fashion designer Ilsa Valfre. You can go to valfre.com to check out all of her clothing, prints, and accessories. Stay tuned because we've got Lisa Hanawalt coming up on the Rookie Podcast after this quick break. Lisa Hanawalt is an illustrator and a production designer and producer on the TV show BoJack Horseman. Here's a quick clip of that main character who is a horse to give you a sense of what it's like. I don't need you to like me. Uh, it would be fun if you liked me because then I could prove to myself that my parents were wrong to never support me because I now earn the admiration of a surrogate authority figure, thus proving I have intrinsic worth, but it's not like it's a big deal or anything. Jeez. Lisa has also written books and done illustration work for the New York Times, the musicians Tegan and Sarah, and lots of other places. I have been a fan of hers for years because she publishes her books with Drawn and Quarterly, who published the first few rookie yearbooks, and I just fell in love with her sense of humor, her illustration style, her eye for color. If she could, like, draw her dream apartment, I would then like to have it constructed and live inside of it. Um, 
and then I guess Ilsa can also draw the clothes, and uh, I'll never have to worry about anything ever again. Lisa also co-hosts a podcast called Baby Geniuses, which I listen to every week and really love. It also is with the comedian Emily Heller. And I also just have to say, if it isn't totally obvious from this interview, how much I worship BoJack Horseman. It's one of my favorite things ever made about show business and acting and Hollywood and fame and mortality. And it's great. So I talked to Lisa about all of that. Hi, Lisa. Hi. Uh, Thanks for having me here. Ah, thanks for coming. (laughs) Uh, I'm so excited. I'm Uh, also very excited. uh, Because I love Rookie. You do? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is so nice. It's awesome. I have so many questions for you. And I have so many BoJack questions just because I'm such a a big fan of the show and the new season just came out and I've been watching it. That's awesome. I'm I'm catching up on the new season too. It's been a while since I've seen the completed episodes. So Uh it's like really fun to just watch them as intended. (laughs) But you would normally, you see everything before it's put out into the world? Oh yeah. Yeah. I make final notes on the animation when it comes back and we're like fixing things and like, I mean, it's mostly just like, I don't like how the how this person is seated doesn't look the way people sit. Huh. (laughs) Even if they're an animal. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Gotta get the anatomy right. Ugh, I love all of the little, like, background gags and wonderful animal-related winks and nudges in the show. Oh, yeah, we just like to cram those in. I feel like everyone who works on the show is, um, we're, like, united by our love of bad puns and animal gags. Great. That sounds like the engine of a a successful animated (laughs) show to me. Yeah. When you're designing a new character or something, how do you, I don't know if it's a silly question, but they're so imaginative and I feel like you could just keep going and going and adding on and how do you know when you're done? Oh, that's a great, that's a great question. I think that's one of the harder things to figure out as an artist, right? Because like when you're in art class, you're just like, is this done or should I, you know, you never really know. And I feel like Mm -hmm. I used to add more and as I've grown as an artist I've been more and more comfortable adding less and I don't Uh know what that's about it's like a confidence with the minimalism or like you know this is enough detail this is enough lines if you add too much you're kind of suffocating the drawing and sometimes that's the look you want and sometimes it's not and for me I'm very particular about the amount of detail on all the characters and the patterns too like if the pattern is too dense that's not quite right and Hmm. if it's too to um if it's not dense enough then the pattern doesn't quite vibrate the way I want and like yeah, yeah I don't really know I think at this point in my career I have a little bit more of an intuitive sense of when a design is finished and you know I'll show Raphael my friend who's the creator of the show and he weighs in and approves every character so sometimes mm-hmm. he'll be like oh can we just add like a necklace or something and I'm like yeah totally and right figure out how to incorporate that you've known Raphael since middle school yeah I knew who he was in middle school I saw him in school plays um, we didn't become friends oh until gosh. high school when I started doing theater. Oh. Yeah, we oh. were theater kids. Care to share that <laughs> resume? Um, I started as a techie. I was uh-huh. building sets. And then I got my first role as a dead body, um, which is not a speaking part. Um, it was mm-hmm. a lying on the stage motionless for an hour part. <laughs> um, but uh, then I just started doing plays. And like uh, I was in a, a one-act play that Raphael directed. Um, oh like this really surreal play called The Family Continues. Um, and yeah, then we just became friends. Wow. And 
did you like dream of one day collaborating? Yeah, I mean, we would joke around like he would actually flip through my sketchbook and make up like like voices for all the characters. We'd uh. make up ideas for TV shows based on like friends that we wanted to make fun of. And uh, when I graduated college, we actually started a webcomic uh, based on his life that we did for two years. And it was like he would write it and write about his problems with girls and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then I would illustrate it. That's so cool. Yeah. Are you the one who's like, we got Lisa Kudrow? Well, she's going to voice an owl. <laughs> no, that was decided by Raphael and the writers. Um, oh. But there are occasionally characters that are kind of up in the air, like um, Quentin Tarantulino. Uh, <laughs> they called me into the writer's room and were like, Lisa, should it be Quentin Tarantucan or Quentin Tarantuna or Quentin Tarantulino? And I was like, uh -huh. well, I haven't drawn any spidery type creepy crawlies yet, so uh -huh. let's go with Tarantula. I love that. <laughs> it's a great character. Yeah. <laughs> so you and Raphael made this show. Yeah. You have always been a, a horse girl yeah i have uh how I'm, does I'm, I'm comfortable admitting it now for a while i think i tried to hide it why you should be proud oh people made fun of me i feel uh, like horse girl has like kind of a bad reputation or a bad right. you know <laughs> yeah i guess so i think we once had an article like in like maybe the first or second year of rookie that was like an ode to horse girls oh that's nice I feel like horse girls were kind of outcast a little bit, you know, like they were dorks, mm. myself included. I know. What is the... Because it's not like there's a kind of cult around any other animal when you're that age. Maybe it's the intensity with which horse girls are obsessed with them. Uh-huh. It's just easy to mock when someone's really into something at that age. Yeah, right. It's like, it's too earnest. At so any people age. have to shit on it. Yeah. yeah. But like when you're like at my age now, it's sort of like, well, like who cares? Just love what you love. And I feel like yes. everyone's kind of tapping back into their childhood uh, fantasies and obsessions a little bit because nobody's going to make fun of them for it anymore. I mean, last weekend I saw the Muppets movie for the first time, the original. Oh, wow. And I was like... What are we doing if not making things that make people just happy? Yeah. And when you tap into the stuff that gave you pleasure as a child, it's like you're just kind of guaranteed to enjoy it. Yeah. More, I think. Yeah. And then there's none of that mean voice that's like, this is stupid and you're stupid. Like, I feel like that yeah. voice doesn't come in until you're a little bit older. Do you experience any of that in art school? um that voice yeah yeah well yeah both internally and externally huh. I mean art school like there's always people who are like I don't like this and they'll like shit on it in a critique yeah right <laughs> I, I did pretty okay yeah I was able to justify my choices I guess by the time you were doing what you do comics and cartooning were already somewhat like prestigious in art school it was definitely discouraged oh, um okay. Yeah, any kind of commercial work, like illustration or comics, um, we weren't really supposed to do that. We were supposed to do fine art, like basically conceptual art. Huh. <laughs> so I did that. But, you know, when I graduated, that wasn't what I was going to be able to continue doing. Yeah, to right. To make a living. So, yeah, then I just went straight back into making comics, which is what mm -hmm. I had been making all along. Right. And had loved since, you know, I was a little kid. Do you know Grace Maselli? No. That art artist, illustrator? She said that they had to do their artist statement and then they all had to go around and say like really what their goal was and she was like my goal is really just to be funny yeah like, she was like i just like drawing these like weird people who make me laugh and making them say funny things yeah i'm sure i said something similar about my own work 
uh, at well, some point, and it was probably not good enough for art school. No, I mean, I'm a happier person for it. Yeah, yeah. Art can be just whatever you want it to be. Is there anything you would like to tell young art student Lisa? Um, I feel like a lot of young art students are very concerned with style because they look at older artists that they love and they all have a very distinct style. Like you can tell by looking at it who made it. Right. Um, but that's not something that you can consciously cultivate. Mm-hmm. And if you try, you're probably going to take some shortcuts and rip someone off. <laughs> and then that's like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, not that that's bad. Like we all learn by copying. I copied Phoebe Glockner and Renee French and Tony Millionaire when I was in high school and I was learning to draw better. But that's not what you should be presenting as your like professional work. So right, um, yeah. I think it's if you kind of redirect your focus onto what you're interested in in life mm-hmm. and just drawing that and drawing the stories that only you could tell and the things that only you could, you know, express, like, mm-hmm. that's what the style is going to come from after the fact. Also, oh, yeah. like, all my friends who are incredible artists, like, they all think that they're unconsciously biting someone else. Like, they're like, no, no, like, I don't have a good style. I'm not good. But they are. Like, yeah. if you look at, you know, I feel that way totally all the time. I'm like, oh, I'm just like a mishmash of other things. I'm, I don't have what? my own style. But, like, other people are like, no, I can totally tell, like, when you draw something that it's yours. So, um, but yeah, it takes a long time to get there. I think the copycat phase is so important. And I don't even know that it's just a phase. Like, I think as long as you're taking stuff in and getting inspired, you kind of naturally. Yeah, we're all sponges and we're all like, we like to ape each other and we like to follow trends and do stuff that will be successful and that will get likes on Instagram. So I understand it's not coming from a malicious place at all for the most part, but it is a, it is a shortcut that you're taking. I remember listening to an interview with Zadie Smith where she said that she would copy Agatha Christie stories word for word and then oh like change just like be like, well, what if this happened instead? And like that was just when she was like a kid. Yeah. And it's I how mean, you teach yourself. Yeah. I, think. I guess what she did is sort of like how a like a guitar player will like take a pre-existing riff and then change this and that. Yeah. But without even trying to get somewhere new. Like, in high school, and I still do this, like, once I read a book, I'll go back to all the parts I underlined and just copy down the sentence, just because I think it, like, subconsciously gets a certain kind of rhythm into into you or like yeah. puts those certain vocab words in your head better. And everything you do is like building on what came before it. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I yeah, I drew Garfield comics when I was <laughs> seven. <laughs> that's how I learned. <laughs> yeah, that's I think um I think it people feel like you said very pressured to I mean, first of all just like know who they are, but also more specifically to artistically have a a very specific style or point yeah. of view. Well, that's what's praised a lot when people are praising the work they like. It's like, I love the way it looks. Like, I love the style. So that's what other artists are trying to get is that, you know, but right. that's not quite what makes something special. I think Amy Rose Spiegel, uh, who writes for Rookie, sent it to me, some passage by E.B. White about writing style, where he's like, just, ugh, I'm going to totally butcher <laughs> it, but it's basically like, go word by word and stay in it. And then a style will emerge, but the kind of just focusing on like what you're trying to express moment to moment and sort of letting it happen to you. Yeah. Whatever the, you know, the feel for it, the overall mood, 
could come later. That's sort of the ideal creativity, right? Is where you're just letting it kind of flow out of you and you're just not stopping it. Right. You're just kind of letting it happen. Like if you think about a character you've made up, like you already know what their story is. You don't have to stress out about telling it. The character is just going to kind of cut loose and do their own thing. You just have to like write down what's happening Are there as any? you're observing it in your head. <laughs> yeah, right. If it's a good character. No, I think that... Um, well, it's all, I guess this goes back to just like trying to make yourself laugh. Like you need something or someone who you'll be entertained by for a long time and who you want to stay with. Have you ever drawn characters for your books or for BoJack that you had to get rid of and then felt guilt? Oh, that's a good question. I guess on BoJack, there are certain characters who've gone away that I miss. Like I miss, like I miss Wanda the owl. I really yeah. liked her. Um, just because I liked her design and I like Lisa Kudrow's voice. Um, I can't think about, I don't know if I've done that in my own work. Because if I, if I felt bad about it, I'd just bring them back, I think. Yeah. I don't think I've ever gotten rid of anyone. That's nice. I've just stopped making comics about them. Right. Like maybe I've switched a bit. You know, I used to make comics about she moose, but now maybe mm-hmm. it's more about Tuca, the toucan. Uh-huh. But they're, they have some similarities. Right. <laughs> they're all extensions of you would you say oh definitely Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) now i feel like holding up like cards of each one and being like tell me where this one (laughs) came from (laughs) yeah i mean they're all like alter egos of mine maybe tuka's my id i don't know (laughs) but also a pretty tame id yeah (laughs) yeah because she has a conscience like she's you know she's not evil she's not murdering people I have I've drawn myself murdering people. I um mm-hmm. oh I had a comic in a mini like a zine I made where I murdered every other Lisa Hanawalt that came up in Google search results, mm. and that's probably the most psychotic um, thing I've ever drawn. But I just thought it was funny. Have you befriended any of them on Facebook or whatever? Yes, one of them I friended on Facebook, and then I think she got overtaken by a spam bot because I checked in with her recently, and I was like, "Hey, how's it going, Lisa Hanawalt?" You know, haven't mm. hope I haven't besmirched our beautiful name. <laughs> and then she was like, I've been gone a long time, but now I'm back. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? And then <laughs> she just started posting like sports statistics. So I don't really know what happened. Oh, wow. But like something about it made it seem like she had died and now she's a ghost. <gasps> I don't know. There's something really spooky about. You manifested it by killing her in your drawing. I mean, that's kind of seems like what happened. So... it's like the secret like you willed it to happen i'm kind of glad that zine is like out of print now maybe it was you know bad bad hoodoo or something meh meh who cares yeah (laughs) people die all the time it doesn't matter whether i summoned it or not (laughs) let's hope you did (laughs) yeah that's true power it would yeah exactly yeah You're listening to The Rookie Podcast. We'll be back with more of my interview with Lisa Hanawalt after this break. What would you say to, just to put you on the spot and make you give advice. Sure. To like a a young person who's like in art school and maybe feels like their thing is too silly or frivolous or any of the kinds of stigma that you might have experienced around cartooning. Um... I mean, people might say that about your work, but at a certain point, you just have to tune other people out a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's it's helpful to get criticism, especially, you know, if your work is like 
not about anything that that might be like a a good criticism right um if it's all just like butterflies and flowers you know Mm -hmm. that's a certain kind of work and like okay maybe that's maybe decorative art is your thing um but yeah you kind of just have to stay true to what you're interested in how do you I feel like a lot of maybe a lot of more women artists get told that their work is frivolous too than than men. I just right. kind of have a feeling that that's that's a thing. An inkling of a suspicion. Yeah, just a, yeah. <laughs> a little side eye I have, but yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, and and women's stories get marginalized and it's like, oh, this is a women's comic or, you know, whatever right. and it's like, no. <laughs> I'm just a human. <laughs> yeah. Um, how do you kind of silence the inner critic while you're working? Um, sometimes I don't, and I really let it take over, and I cry a lot Aww. while working. Yeah, it's just part of it, I think. Hmm. Um, I have little meltdowns while working a lot. A lot of my friends do, too. Hmm. It's unfortunate. And um, then, you know, sometimes I need my boyfriend to, like, be the nice voice yeah. who drowns that mean voice out because I have trouble doing it myself. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, on rare occasions, I'll be like, no, this, what I'm working on right now is is super tight. Yeah. (laughs) And like, uh, yeah, I need to like shut up a little bit. I think sometimes what that means is also just that you're still inside of it. Yeah. Like later you can take the long view and be like, oh, this was, this is good. Yeah. It's hard to take a step back. I, um, I am just finishing a project I've been working four months on and it's like, you know, little details would bother me so much, but it's hard to like step back and be like, okay, but the whole thing I did is good. Like overall, it's good. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a goodness in there that made me do it in the first place and guided me through it. So I need to just trust that a little more. Mm-hmm. I think I'm getting minutely better at that every year, but it's still hard. <laughs> as a reader or a viewer, I think also I experience it as a kind of wave. It's not like you're picking apart every little yeah you're not seeing every tiny detail because that would be insane (laughs) yeah that would be you'd be taking it in like you were um you you would have like you might have like a general vague sense like oh they don't like this as much as the previous right whatever but like uh, you know that's how most people (laughs) feel about everything i don't know yeah um you know, they're not going to be like, oh, it's because uh, this was edited weirdly in this shot, blah, blah, blah. And like, right. I don't know if, for, if they're watching a movie. Um. <laughs> There's an Adam Phillips essay called Against Self-Criticism. That sounds like something I should read. <laughs> I reckon I probably bring it up like twice a day <laughs> because there's a part where he says that if you were to meet your inner critic in person, they would just be, like, boring and cruel. Yeah. You'd be like, who's this guy? No one wants to hang out with him. It's tough because sometimes it's fun. I feel like my inner critic, I've thought about this a lot recently, I feel like that's the same person who likes to, like, read online gossip and, like, hate on things. Oh, And yeah. that's very fun for me. So, right. And, you know, it's entertaining. And so, you know, she isn't all bad. Right. But, like, sometimes her you know, picking at things and her desire to pick at things kind of turns inwards and hurts me. So I just need to be aware of when that's happening and when I'm just sort of focusing on negative shit. Well, I think we use like gossip and negativity and resentment to more broadly figure out what we just do and don't like in life. Yeah, true. It can lead to our own principles and ethics in our own lives. Thank you so much for doing this interview with me. I had such a good time. It was my pleasure. Aw. Watch BoJack Horseman, follow Lisa on the internet, (laughs) read her books, and listen to Baby Geniuses. And read Brookie. (laughs) Oh, well. Duh. Duh. (laughs)
That Was Me and Lisa Hanawalt. You can follow her on Instagram at Lisa Draws, and I highly recommend it. Coming up after this break, ask a grown married couple featuring Kumail Nanjiani and Emily V. Gordon. Ask a Grown is where we collect your questions and ask them of the people we like to interview for Rookie. This week is a two-for-one deal with Emily V. Gordon and Kumail Nanjiani. Emily has written for Rookie for years. She's read at our live events. She's answered advice questions before. She's written personal essays and guides and comics. She also has a book called Super You that's like one of the only self-help books I fervently recommend. And she happens to be married to Kumail Nanjiani, who is one of my favorite comics and actors. You may know him from Silicon Valley. Pretty soon you'll know him from the movie The Big Sick, which comes out June 23rd, which Emily and Kumail co-wrote based on how they met. It's a totally unique, bizarre story, and basically Kumail plays himself, Zoe Kazan plays Emily. They met, like, while shortly before Emily went into a coma. Um, they are wonderful, fascinating people with really good advice. So... Here they go. Quick note, um, the first question we got describes a scenario of, you know, someone going up to another person and kissing them without consent and just walking away. And from the way the listener wrote the question, it sounds like the beginning of a romance. Uh, She has her own context for the situation. We're going to let the writer decide what the situation was. But generally, we don't go up to people and kiss them without talking about it. Hello, Rookie. Hi, I'm Kumel Nanjiani. And I'm Emily V. Gordon, and we're a married couple. We are married to each other. Oh, yeah. Well, no, I guess when you say married get, couple. It's implied. It's true. I overexplained. <laughs> and, yeah, we wrote a movie together that's coming out called The Big Sick that Kumail stars in. It's kind of based on a relationship. So Rookie thought it might be cool if we answered a, uh, an Ask a Grown Married Couple, because that's what we are now. We're a grown married couple. That's weird. doesn't feel like it, the grown part. doesn't feel like it. I yeah, that's true. St- I still feel like I don't know what I'm doing. And that's maybe the biggest lesson of all. <laughs> you maybe don't know what you're doing. But we're going to answer a couple of questions from you guys. Uh, and so I will read the first one. Are you ready? Yes. Hi, rookie. This is when they start now. Um, I have a crush on this boy in my class. I always had seen him around and thought he was pretty cute. A few months ago, we kissed at a party. Whoa. He just came up to me, smiled, and then leaned in. After the kiss, we both laughed, and then he walked away. We actually have never spoken, but since then, I have seen him around a couple of times. There's been a lot of sustained eye contact on both parts, and I might be imagining it, but I feel like there could be something there. I'm not brave enough to go over to him and say hi, but on the other hand, that's all I wish he would do. Help needed. This is from H in New York City. I think what's interesting, though, is that this period of time when you're like, I don't know how they feel. I think there's like a thing there. And oh, my God, I, they keep catching their eye. And they I've keep catching your eye. been there. I think that's such a uh, exciting time. It's so exciting. Because my advice is quite boring, which is to like go up and be like, hey, what's up? When you guys speak, no matter who does it, the spell is not broken, but it's it shifts the, re- the relationship you guys have from being like this. What is this to like 
Now we're going to figure out what this is. But even that's exciting. That's exciting that's too, fun. but it's a different kind. So I think kind of enjoy the like delicious torture that this is a Wait, little bit. Wait, are you saying that you shouldn't go talk to him? No, I'm saying I, while you're indecisive, enjoy that time. The time before this, the time that caused you to write us uh, and ask us this question, enjoy this time. Okay, so this is, I guess, what our advice is. Yes. Is that up until now, we're assuming that you have not been enjoying the, what did you call it? The delicious... The delicious torture. The, the delicious not knowing. And um, I so we will... From when you hear this, <laughs> enjoy it for a little bit of time. Yeah. And then go and talk to him. It's, uh, it's pretty sexy. It's pretty hot. But then go talk to him. Um... I don't think you should be using these words. Emily. I'm totally fine with that because uh, these are my girls. Um, but yeah, I would say just go talk to them and be like, hi, how's it going? Could you give like as a comedian, what's like a really cool line that you could go up and say? Well, it depends oh, on the. Yes, go I just ahead. Came up with <laughs> what is it? Go for it. I say go up to them and just go. This has been so exhausting. <laughs> oh yeah be like not talking to you has been so exhausting yeah yeah that's, that's really hot. good that's a good line yeah again i would love it if you didn't say I, words I like hot and sexy well i know but it's because you're a grown man but these are my girls so i'm, I'm it's okay i'm okay to say that um i think if not sorry so um, what's the line I, i'm sorry not talking to you or or not knowing you has been exhausting oh i like that that's really that's good. really good try that see if that works let us know the opposite doesn't work you can't be like like i was like how do i say this to Emily and I can't be like knowing you has been exhausting <laughs> that doesn't work yeah you don't want to be an exhausting human being no 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 um, alright okay, next question go ahead I'm not really sure who this is directed to well it's us or how this even works but I've decided I really need advice I'm in 8th grade and I've pretty much been friends with the people in the grade above me since 6th grade in 7th grade I started becoming better friends with the people in my grade but I had a large falling out with all the people I was close with in the beginning of the school year. I then found a new friend group that welcomed me with open arms while keeping the relationships I had with all my freshman friends I also had. Wow. Even though I love my eighth grade friends, I feel as though I just can't connect with them. I don't have the same sense of humor as them and we just aren't comfortable in our own silence. Everything I say feels calculated and forced and I've come to a point where I feel as though I subconsciously say and do mean things and make people not want to be friends with me or hang out with me. I only really feel fully comfortable with my freshman friends, but they obviously want to have time with their freshman friends, and I fully respect that. So until I find the people I connect with in my grade, how do I cope? Anonymous. What an articulate That was exactly grader. what I was thinking. I was like, I would have loved to have had such a handle on my emotional self, like my inner, inner anything. And be able, able to articulate. I couldn't do any of this. No. Um, you sound like a very impressive human being. Um... I think that it's it's a really interesting skill to realize that thing of like we don't find the same things funny. I had that issue in middle school uh, quite a bit, and I would say when I got to high school is when I kind of started meeting people that we laughed at the same things. And some of those people are still my friends today. Not every friend you make in high school is. No. But I say like hunker down, develop your own sense of self. Uh, like it sounds like you've been doing. Be okay, kind of being alone on occasion. It's actually also okay, and you learn this as an adult when you like start working in offices and stuff. You're not always gonna be around people you connect with a hundred percent, and that's a skill to develop too. Right, right. But at this point, you it seems like you really are able to choose your friends. Yeah. This is not, you don't have a job right now. No, certainly not. But I would say keep looking, keep your eye out, keep looking for people that, you know, if somebody farts in front of the school assembly that who's laughing, look at them. Those are your See, people, I don't maybe. think farts are funny. 
I know, but when somebody farts and then you catch eyes with a stranger and you both are just like, Ooh, that's that was funny. great. Yeah, that's what I'm saying to look for. Look for the people who kind of enjoy the same things that you do. Go to events at your school that are kind of uh, events that you, you're you interested in and maybe people you like will what be there. What kind of events do they have in school? Middle school, not so much. All right. Not my middle school. <laughs> I, was, I was a peer counselor. And so I met friends that way. Okay. And then I also met friends at... Uh, referencing horror movies <laughs> right those are my two ways that i met friends in middle school but keep your eyes out for friends enjoy the friends that you have in eighth grade because they sound like good people they're just you guys um just aren't on the same wavelength yeah sometimes you just don't you know and, and sometimes people change too you'll be friends with someone and then realize like oh we're becoming slightly different people yeah. and there is a sadness to that it's yeah. sad to like not be able to relate to people you used to be able to relate to but that doesn't mean it's wrong or that anybody should try to go back to being what they want. Yeah, it's not that it's anybody's fault. People change. People evolve and grow and move together and move further apart. And I think you're, you seem smart enough to be able to recognize that. And so just go, go to the people you really connect with. I would also say maybe stop being mean to these eighth grade friends that you don't connect with uh, wonderfully. It sounds like you realize you're doing it to kind of push them away from you because you don't super connect. I get it. I've totally done that. I'm sure you have too. I would say stop. I've actually never been mean oh, to a single a, person in my life. You're such a good guy. Um, I would say don't do that just because I feel like uh, that's not a good that's not a good habit to develop because you'll find yourself maybe relying on that more than you should later in life if you start doing it now. So And don't feel bad. It seems like it's just happening subconsciously yeah. that you're not like doing this on purpose, but yeah. but you're aware of it and um, I think that's the first step. Yeah, but don't um, don't push them away. Just kind of take them for what they are. Take yourself for what you are. Keep keep your eyes out for other friends and and uh, I promise you'll be you'll be an adult before you know it cuz man, you sound so grown up. I'm I'm so impressed with you yeah. being in 8th grade. I was a dummy in 8th grade. I don't think I could even remember to eat or breathe or... I was, I was angry and very weird and not able to articulate my anger. It was See, great. I wasn't angry, but, but I That's was That's because you've never weird. been mean to anybody. Yeah, but I'm just like sort of... I'm sort of like an angel on earth, but you know. Anyway, uh, <laughs> um, that's kind of. Uh, I guess that's our advice. Uh, we've been married for a while. It's fun to get married. It's fun to not get married. I guess that's another piece of advice we're giving. <laughs> they didn't. Nobody asked for yeah, that. Yeah, nobody asked for that. But um, thank you guys so much. I, I've been writing for Rookie since it started, and I, it's been lovely to watch all of you grow up, and then more girls come and join the team, and it's been awesome. Thank you for listening to us. Thank you, Emily and Kumail. Their movie, The Big Sick, comes out June 23rd, so make sure you check it out. Thank you so much for listening this week. I'm Tavi Gevinson, and I'll meet you back here, same place on your phone, computer screen, uh, brain chip, etc. next week. Maybe you can even get a bunch of your friends to subscribe, and they'll come too. Also, as always, we would love to hear from you if you want to send in a, a voice memo. Next week is the beginning of Pride Month, so we'd like to ask you what you're doing to celebrate. Send us your submissions either as text or a voice memo along with your first name or nickname, age, and location to podcast at rookiemag.com. Feel free to email us there anytime with your thoughts about the podcast, what you'd like to hear from us, who you want us to interview, what kind of starter pack or life skill we should do, really anything. You can find us at RookieMag.com, RookiePodcast.MTV.com, and at RookieMag on Twitter and Instagram. 
I am on Twitter and Instagram as Tavi Tool, T-A-V-I-T-U-L-L-E. Plus, check out podcasts.mtv.com and at MTV Podcasts on Twitter and Instagram for more shows from the MTV Podcast Network. This episode of Rookie was produced by Mukta Mohan, Michael Gatano, and Kesha Mihailovic for the MTV Podcast Network. Thanks to Lauren Redding for making the Rookie Podcast happen. And thanks to Lena Singer for picking advice question and to Shamir for the Rookie theme song. Thanks to Maria Eniskel for the portraits and doodles, to Cynthia Merhej for Rookie's logo, to Hattie Stewart for the logo doodles, and to Beth Heckel for the jewels. Jewels.